0: see it till this morning. That was great. (laughs) So uh, how many people know what today is? Besides being the most beautiful morning of the summer, uh, most of you know it's Sunday because your car drove you here to church. (laughs) Some of you know the date, right? June 9th. Uh, What you might not realize is that today is Pentecost Sunday. That's 50 days after Easter. See, the original day of Pentecost some 2,000 years ago occurred 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. It's when the Holy Spirit descended on the disciples of Jesus and the followers of Jesus found themselves speaking in in tongues, speaking in foreign languages that they had never studied, languages they had never learned. And yet pilgrims from distant countries who had traveled to Jerusalem for the Jewish feast of weeks that was being celebrated, they heard these local Jews praising God and worshiping in their native language. No one could explain these events, right? Everyone was utterly bewildered. They were amazed. They didn't know what was going on. In fact, so much so that the common explanation for these strange events was that the disciples must be out of their mind. They must be drunk. That was the common explanation for this initial demonstration of God's spirit inhabiting the disciples Of Jesus. So today, today is Pentecost Sunday 2019. It's 50 days following this year's celebration of Easter. Pentecost in Greek simply means 50. For Christ followers though, this is one of the most significant Sundays of our year. The strange events of this first day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago, it launched a new day it launched a new era for the kingdom when ordinary followers of Jesus began moving in supernatural power and they began speaking with a new boldness, a new new authority because of the spirit now inside them. In fact, the entire book of Acts is, it chronicles the radical impact that these followers of Jesus had once they were empowered by the Holy Spirit of God that descended on that first day of Pentecost. And frankly, the world has never been the same. Well, I've had my own Pentecost experience, actually, some years ago. I was invited to teach at a Bible school in Russia. It's the equivalent of an American seminary. And I traveled the northwestern countryside visiting local pastors and missionaries for about a week. But then for the next 10 days, I taught seminary students at this Bible school. And these students were very serious about their studies. They took copious notes. They asked tons of questions. Classes classes were, were super long. And when an outside teacher or speaker would come in for a week or so, they would kill you. They would schedule you to teach all morning and all afternoon and then answer questions all night about living in America, about Western culture, about is reality TV reality? Those were the questions of these Russian students who spoke no English. So you'd teach all morning. I would teach from eight o'clock in the morning to about one o'clock in the afternoon. And then in the afternoon from about two till six p.m. And it was a long day because especially you were teaching everything through an interpreter. The one break between the morning and afternoon teaching sessions was a one-hour lunch break. It was a welcome break for everyone. Even I was sick of hearing myself talk by the time lunch came around. And I remember after the first morning of teaching that Monday, uh, noon, I got escorted into this small back room to have lunch with my interpreter and away from the students to get away from all their questions, otherwise you would not have a minute's rest. And uh, this young woman who interpreted for me, she couldn't have been more than 23 or 24 years old. She seemed to be very quiet, very shy. And a few minutes into our lunch, I thought I'd break the conversation, get to know this woman who had been translating for me for four or five hours, and all I knew up to this point was her name. So I began our, I began our conversation with a simple question. I said, so you know, where did you go to school to learn English? You know, where did you study to become an interpreter? And I get nothing. A blank stare. I thought that was kind of weird. So I, I thought she hadn't heard me clearly, so I decided to, you know, restate my question a little more slowly, with a little more emphasis. You know, where did you study, you know? Where did you learn English? I thought that would help, I don't Clearly it didn't because she kind of cocked her head and looked at me like, like I was the one not understanding her. But it was her reply that really made me confused. She said in rather broken English, uh oh, I never studied to become an interpreter. I don't know English. <laughs> the woman who had been translating for me for four hours didn't know English. She said... She, She went on, she says, no, 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 it's my gift. You see, when I decided to follow Jesus, he gave me this spiritual gift. So I don't understand what you're saying, but God tells me what you're saying. And I speak in Russian what God tells me you're saying in English. It's it's my gift. It's the way I serve God. And she went back to casually eating her soup, (laughs) and I'm like, what? Kind of freaked me out. (laughs) I mean, I had had been witnessing the gift of tongues not knowing it or interpretation in front of me for that Monday morning, not realizing that this was a gift from God given to this woman so she could serve him. It was amazing, actually. It was awesome. And I, I, skeptical me, unfortunately, I, I knew this other interpreter a little bit better and she said, hey, hey, like, is she really interpreting my teaching? <laughs> or like, is she just doing her own thing? Because I wouldn't know. <laughs> and he said, "He said, oh no, no, her translation, spot on, perfect. I was impressed. I was impressed with how the Holy Spirit gifts those who follow Jesus. So on that original day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit falls on believers and they begin to speak in tongues in languages that they never studied, languages that they had never learned, to the amazement of both the foreign pilgrims and the local disciples, and that's not all. That same day, Peter stands up and addresses the crowd, explaining that what they were experiencing, what they were witnessing, was the power of God now activating and inhabiting the lives of every believer in Jesus. And Peter goes on to preach his first sermon to this large crowd who had witnessed this miraculous outpouring of God's spirit on ordinary people, everyday people. These were not prophets or priests, but average, typical, yet sincere followers of Jesus. And following his sermon, Jesus invites those listening to put their faith in the resurrected Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, and 3,000 people get saved that day. Right? Peter's altar call, first altar call, and 3,000 people come forward. And the church grows from 120 kind of somewhat anxious, nervous followers to over 3,000 on-fire believers in one day. That's a good day, friends. That's a good day for the church. That's a good day for the kingdom. So here's where I want to pick up the action. I want to pick up the action with the very first recorded event following this first day of Pentecost. The first event that's highlighted is actually found in Acts chapter three. Acts chapter three opens with an account of two of Jesus' disciples, Peter and John, heading to church for a prayer meeting shortly after this outpouring of God's spirit on the followers of Jesus. This account will be our text for the morning. Here's how we'll move through the passage. We'll read a few verses at a time. We'll then stop and make some editorial comments, some explanation, maybe some takeaways from the text. And then we'll move on. And we'll work our way through this short passage. And by the time we're through, hopefully, we very ordinary people will have both the confidence and the courage to step out and let God use us in extraordinary ways. That's a plan. Here we go. I'll begin reading this first recorded event following Pentecost in Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Here we go. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his full attention, expecting to get something from them. All right, let's stop here for a minute, fill in a few details. You need to know that in Jesus' day, there were three prescribed times of prayer at the temple for Jewish people. Morning prayer at 9 a.m., afternoon prayer at 3 p.m., and evening prayer at sunset. So in this account, at the time of afternoon prayer, a lame man who's crippled from birth was being placed in position to beg for money from those headed into the temple. This was his daily routine. Right? Some family or friends would place him at the busy entrance gate to the temple while people would be entering or exiting in hopes of making enough money begging to get him through another day. This was his spot, this was his strategy for survival, him being crippled so he couldn't work. The Greek term here for crippled is very specific. It, it describes this man's feet being paralyzed because his ankles were out of socket. That was the literal. Ankles out of socket was the term crippled that we translate here. This guy's feet have not worked since birth, but he is smart. This guy is smart because he's placed himself strategically, both in time and in place, in the most trafficked way, the most trafficked location around the temple. See, he begs in front of the gate called Beautiful the most popular entrance to these Jewish temple courts. It's called the beautiful gate because it's made of Corinthian bronze with inlaid silver and gold. It was beautiful. And in the afternoon sunshine at three in the afternoon with the Judean sun beating on it, the polished bronze, the gold and silver, it's shown in spectacular beauty. There was no other gate like this one. So when this beggar saw Peter and John about to enter the temple courts, he asked them for money. Not unusual. This guy asks everybody for money. How do we know? The text tells us that when Peter and John respond to his solicitation, they actually have to get the beggar's attention by saying, hey, look at us. Because he's already moved on to the next prospect, the next person behind Peter and John going into the temple trying to ask them, beg them, for some cash. He was already looking beyond. So the beggar asking Peter and John for money, that's not unusual. What was unusual was that Peter and John both looked back at him. See, the text says that they looked directly at this crippled beggar. Now that's unusual. Unusual because everyone knows you never make eye contact with someone begging you for money, right? Even you know that. You avert your eyes. You look away. You casually act like you don't see them or you don't hear them. Isn't that what you do? Or you walk by them real fast. Like you're too busy to stop or help. Like you're, like you're actually headed somewhere. Isn't that what we do? Time for true confession. I have used that strategy countless times to avoid locking eyes with someone begging me for money or needing some help from me. See, it it allows me to avoid getting involved in the needs of people around me. It allows me to avoid feeling guilty about my disinterest or my lack of compassion for people who are broken and begging. See, it's the prescribed way I can remain selfish and self-absorbed and not be inconvenienced by all the needs around me. I remember a time when my son, 10 years old, tried to remind me of this well-worn avoidance practice. We're on our way to a burger following a Little League game, and we actually stopped to help someone who was broken down on the side of the road. Happened to be a mom, two little kids. She had a flat tire. We fixed her flat, took us maybe 20 minutes, nothing to it. We jumped back in the car, and I can tell my son, he's a little perturbed with me. He's a little frustrated with me, because we were gonna be a little late now joining other kids, at our post-game burger stop. And so he looks at me and he says rather pointedly, he says, Dad, do we always have to stop and help people? Can't we just ignore them like everyone else does? That's the day I knew that my 10-year-old son was savvy to how to avoid being inconvenienced by even the slightest need around us. It's also the day I said, all right, I have to demonstrate something counterculture for my kid's own sake, or he'd end up practicing and perfecting the same avoidance strategy he had seen seen his dad use and employ countless times before. Okay, first takeaway from this passage is this. People with the spirit of God in them, we see people in need. See, we see people that others ignore. Pastor Kent Curry did a great job of reminding us of this last week. See, we get personal. When you see people, you know what? You validate that they have worth and value, that they're not invisible. You see them and therefore they matter, especially people in need, the ones that other people are actively trying to avoid. People with the spirit of God in them see these people. You know, there are several scripture passages that say when Jesus saw someone in need, He had compassion on them. He didn't avert his eyes. He didn't walk by them real fast. He didn't act like he was too busy. He saw them and responded with compassion. And since we now carry his spirit post-Pentecost, we need to do the same. In fact, I'm sure there were countless others who ignored the lame beggar that day as they entered the temple courts. But Peter and John looked directly directly at him. Look at us they said so the crippled man gives peter and john his full attention their full attention expecting to get something from them he was expecting some cash but peter had something else in mind have you ever noticed what people ask for is not necessarily what they need what people ask for and chase after is not necessarily what they need most. See, this beggar thinks his greatest need is financial. It's the means to get through another day. He thinks, if I just had a little more money, I would be all set. That should sound familiar. That's the cry of most of our world, most Americans for sure, maybe most of us. If I just had a little more money, I would be all set. I'm not anti-money, but I can tell you this, it will never satisfy, and you don't need to take my word for it. My favorite money quote was made almost a century ago by John D. Rockefeller, then one of the most wealthy men in the world. And when asked how much money it took to be happy, to be satisfied, Rockefeller replied, just a little bit more. It's a never ending quest, isn't it? For just a little bit more. What people ask for is not necessarily what they need. Second takeaway for you and me this morning is this. People with the spirit of God in them, we have the answer to what people need. You and I just have to believe it. We have the answer. They might not be asking for it, but we have the answer to what they need. His name is Jesus. He's the one who heals and saves and transforms people's lives. We know this because we now carry his spirit inside us. And people all around us are running after everything, anything, thinking that's what they need because they don't know any better. But those of us with the spirit of God in us, we know that we have the answer that will satisfy their very soul. Quick recap so far. Peter and John walk into the temple for afternoon prayer. They go through the beautiful gate. The cripple who begs there every day asks them for money. Peter and John look directly at him and they get his full attention. Okay, back to the text, verse six. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. What is this? The guy asked for money, and Peter commands him to get up and walk. I mean, what is that all about? Let's examine Peter's reply here for a minute. He begins with, silver and gold I do not have. He's saying, I don't have what you're asking for. I don't have any money to give you. That's the obvious implication. But I think think Peter has another purpose for using this particular figure of speech. Silver and gold I do not have, he says alluding not only to to money, but also, I think, to the beautiful gate behind this crippled beggar, remember? This crippled guy is surrounded by a huge gate of Corinthian bronze, inlaid with silver and gold. I think Peter's saying, I don't have any of this. I don't have any of this beauty, opulence, showy, spectacular. I don't have any of this, but really, It's of no value to beggars like you and me. What I have, though, what I have, I'll give it to you. Third takeaway for you and me this morning is this. People with the Spirit of God in them, we freely give away what has been given to us. We freely give away what has been given to us. And Scripture tells us, I'll remind you, that everything has been given to us. It's all a gift from our loving Heavenly Father. So our mindset is this. Since everything has been given to us, we can freely give it away. So we share easily, we give generously, we love lavishly, we serve willingly, we work tirelessly, and we pray continually. That's what we do, those of us with the spirit of God in us. We love God because he first loved us. We're so convinced of God's undying love for us, we can give, share, serve, work, and love, expecting nothing in return from the person in need. See, God is our source of love, and his love never runs out on us. Our cup overflows. This is the mindset of someone who has God's spirit living inside them. We can freely give away what has been given to us. Back to the text. So Peter replies to the crippled beggar, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. In the name of Jesus Christ, literally, in the power of Jesus Christ, in the power of, Jesus, in the, power of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Verse seven. Taking him by the right hand, Peter helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. The word for became strong here says that the man's ankles went into socket. The man jumped to his feet and began to walk, then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. You can just picture this scene, can't you? I mean, you can see it. The formerly crippled guy starts jumping around, praising God, he can't believe it. He does a little jig, does a little dance, why? because he can't believe his good fortune. He didn't even ask to be healed, and God decides to bless him and heal him anyway. So for the first time, this crippled guy is viewing the world upright, standing, a whole new posture, a whole new perspective. He was looking for money and God had something much better, much greater in store for this guy. That's how good our God is. And it goes without saying that Peter didn't heal anybody. It was Jesus who healed the crippled beggar. Peter is just a delivery guy. See, we're not commanded to heal anybody, we're just commanded to pray for people. Jesus does the healing. Amen? Amen. Amen. Friends, here's the deal, because there's power in the name of Jesus. You got none, but his spirit in you, there's power in you. It's Jesus who heals, not you. So you and I, we reach out and pray. Jesus decides if he's gonna heal someone or not. He's in charge, he's in control, but we're commanded to pray, that's what we do. People with the spirit of God, we pray for people who need prayer, who need healing. Okay, it goes without saying, Peter didn't heal anybody, he was just a delivery guy. Jesus' name has all the power. His spirit now living in us provides that power to heal. We, Jesus moves in and heals when we give ourselves away to people in need, that's how good he is. Now in all the celebrating, don't miss our fourth takeaway in verse seven people with the spirit of god it says that in the power of Jesus name Peter commanded the lame man to walk then taking him by the hand he helped him up peter with this, people with the spirit of god step in with a hand and they help people up we help people up out of their mess we help them get on their feet we help people take their first steps have you noticed first steps are hard first steps are hard for babies they're hard for new believers they're hard for people who are begging and broken but people with god's spirit in them we help people take their first steps Their first steps with a new hope, a new heart, a new perspective, a new posture, a whole new view of life. That's what we do. We don't leave people to fend for themselves. Rather, we give them a hand, we help them up, we help them take their first steps. That's who we are. And you know what happens then? Verse eight tells us. The formerly crippled guy went with Peter and John into the temple courts. He went with them. He went with them walking and jumping and praising God. When we freely give away what God has given us, we help people take their first steps, we help people because we've prayed for them, we've helped them up, they come with us to celebrate what God has done for them. They become a walking testimony of God's goodness, of God's grace. They're filled with awe, they cannot help but worship God and share what he's done for them. That's exactly what happens. In fact, that's exactly what happened recently to my buddy Glenn Leonard. Check out Glenn's story.
1: One night I was walking out of the street with my dad at a park in Shelton and uh, it was dark and I fell in a manhole, believe it or not, and uh, it was about five feet and I couldn't get out and uh, the police came and, uh, you know, they took me out. My dad tried. He couldn't do it. He's older and that was it. I was in tough shape. Uh, I couldn't walk. My back was extremely, you know, in pain. Legs were swollen. My uh, ankles, my back. I uh, had severe nerve damage. They took tests. Uh, severe nerve damage in my head. Back was a uh, bulging uh, disc, and uh, I was pretty banged up. So, a few months go by. I'm still in pain. Legs are still swollen. Back is still, you know, bulging. My disc. So, I'm in pretty good pain, okay? So, my daughter invited me out uh, to the Ministry School of Bethel uh, in Redding, California, and uh, she, you know, invited me for uh, a healing. I go into the room and i uh have three people praying over me and all of a sudden this guy out of nowhere one of the prayer guys says i see you walking on a sidewalk with the lord picking you up out of a hole with a bunch of doves around right then and there i knew in my heart that god was present (laughs) i get emotional but anyways i uh i felt the presence of god and the lady went down and she started praying on my legs and from my heels up to where my back is, I just start feeling heat. And it was just me and God. And I just felt the presence. And I knew I was getting healed. I walk out of the room and I'm doing like the jitter, you know what I mean? I I couldn't walk for like months, you know, without a limp or whatever. I look down and the swelling is completely gone. And I ran from one end of the hall to the other. And my daughter is, we just embrace each other. It was amazing. But I just felt the presence of God. What he was doing in me and through my heart, through my body, through my soul, and I'm healed. And how are your feet now? My legs now.
0: <laughs> Seriously, I can do this. Man. And they
1: Well, I'm on fire. <laughs> I mean, I believe in Jesus before this, and, you know, but I love Jesus, man. It's amazing what has happened through me. I'm praying for people, you know, at my truck, at the food truck. And it's just amazing. I'm having a lot of fun. Seriously, I'm a lot of the fun. Prayer is extremely important to me. Just seeing what I've gone through in my past to now is extremely important. And I just, that's why I'm doing this. I just want to share my experience with everyone here at Black Rock. And uh, you know, so hopefully they could experience the same.
0: We wanna thank you for watching and listening to our sermons online. And we hope that uh, you will be inspired to live more like Jesus through these. Please check out blackrock.org for more information about our church. Know that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And also uh, know that you can give uh, to BlackRock and to our ministry through PushPay, through our mobile app, and on our website. Your uh, donations and your support of our ministry allows us to have Uh, these videos online and for us to impact our community.